Hello and welcome to another episode of the Men's Wear Style Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Brooker, and on this episode, I'm going to talk to Jason West, director of Luso Footwear. I'm going to peel off a little info off the Luso website to set the table here. And the website you can find at luso-life.co.uk. Luso, we are very proud to have the most experienced and talented team members in Teesside selling and buying a wide range of shoes and clothing, including luxury and exclusive brands. We guide each one of our customers through the entire process of shopping, ordering, purchasing and selling, ensuring a hassle-free experience for the customer. So this is, a, this is one of the most interesting chats I think I've had on the podcast. I knew nothing about Jason or Luso going in and I had about... 20 minutes to prepare for the interview it was arranged very last minute I think that actually made for a very interesting chat Jason talks about his background the mistakes he made along the way and you might be setting up an e-commerce site on your own you might want to listen to what Jason has to say about companies like Klarna and what to look out for when fraudulent people try and scam you lots of great helpful tips uh, for you to learn if you're an upstarter all that to come but first make sure you're checking out the website menswearstyle.co.uk and the social at menswearstyle all the latest fashion news and hey Beck Loads has just done an awesome article on the stylish Netflix series that you should be watching so make sure you're tuning in for that and if you want to tell us about your brand your journey you can email the show at info at menswearstyle.co.uk okay let's get to it this is a good one hope you enjoy it here is Jason West, director at Lusso Footwear. Well, it's my great pleasure to speak to Jason West, uh, director of Lusso Footwear. How are you doing today, Jason? Very well, sir. Very excited to be on. Um, first podcast I've ever done. So. Oh, wow. Excellent. Fantastic. Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and Lusso. Oh, God, where to start? Um, How I old are you, if you don't mind me asking? 26. Wow. Okay. So, depending on who you ask, that could be really old in, <laughs> in the age of starting an online business, or or very young. Um, but for I mean, for me, a bit of background about myself. I mean, I've always been what people again. I don't like using the terms entrepreneurs and stuff, but I was always somebody that was a bit of a a wheeler dealer and wanting to buy stuff and and then sell it on and, and make a profit. So, as a young, I guess as a young lad, I've always just had that ingrained in in my personality so um first business i had was selling you know parts of xboxes and games consoles and computers on ebay i just buy the broken stuff off friends and family break it down if i couldn't fix it i'd just sell it on <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know where that i don't know because there's nobody in my family that's kind of business owner or anything like that so i don't know where that sort of drive or that instinct came from but it just seemed to to just spark something um and i guess since then it's been a kind of a bit of a a a roller coaster of career paths and choices in terms of i always thought i was going to be an accountant believe it or not um the guy stuck behind the desk crunching the numbers but i went to uni did my um my finance degree so i've got a degree in um finance management and um got a, a training contract at an accountancy practice in in, in Teesside. And just Is that where you I, went to uni? Did you go to uni went, in Teesside? Yeah, I went to Northumbria Uni. So I went to um, up at Newcastle, moved away from home, 
um, and, and studied finance there. But again, I got a, a training contract with an accountancy practice. And just, you know, when you just realize that you, this is not, this is not what I want to do for the rest Constantly. of my life. Constantly. And, you're <laughs> and I guess, I guess I had this warped perception of um, thinking an accountant was the decision maker in businesses and they get involved and like they're really kind of integral to the business. But I guess when you're at an entry level position, you get um, you get so and so from from around the corner who's got a small business that brings in a Tesco bag of all of his receipts. Oh, and yeah. You have to do all of his accounts based on some receipts that he's got here. And that's me, by the way, <laughs> with my accountant. Yeah, yeah, he <laughs> ate my guts. The, the, the polar opposites between what I thought an accountant would do based on my finance degree, which was looking at PLCs and that kind of thing. Um, and then the reality of starting in a smaller practice as a as a kind of a, a junior trainee, it was just worlds apart. And I could never, I could never fully commit to it in terms of when I was actually there nine till five. Like I would just get distracted. I would, I wasn't really passionate about it. I wouldn't work as hard as what I'd been known to to work at. You know, personality wise, I was a, I'd work as a grafter. You know, I'd. I'd from the age of 15, 16, I've worked at car dealerships, washing cars, you know, just trying to earn money here, there and everywhere. So for me, it was completely, it was a realization that, you know what, like if I'm not passionate about this job and I'm not working hard, there's obviously something here that's not right. Um, so I ended up moving to um, a local car dealership near me. Um, I, I didn't, there was no job that role there for me. A friend of, a friend of my father, um, had actually given me an opportunity just to come into the business and, and basically just see what it was all about and, and learn and that kind of stuff. So there was no job role there for me when I got when I got into that position after leaving the accountancy practice. But whilst I was there, there was um there was a useful kind of gap for my skill set and knowledge whereby they'd been an independent car dealership, so they didn't have a PLC looking out for them and, and future-proofing that business and, and putting things in place in order to digitize the industry. So it kind of it kind of fell on me where I was coming up with ideas and suggestions that were naturally just feeding into the business. And ultimately, I ended up creating this role as, as kind of like a social media um, guy, assistant manager, whatever you want to call it. Um, and we got them on Facebook and, and we just started kind of doing a bit of brand awareness on Facebook, that kind of thing. Um, that naturally led to, to getting involved in the website. The website at the time was really, really poor in comparison to where standards were at. And did you build uh, the website for them? So I, I consulted on getting a new website. So I undertook some research in the market, looked at who was doing really well online, um, who were the leaders in, in, in websites for the automotive industry, and and just led kind of led that project and 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 ended up getting a brand new website and just helped that business go from 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 being nothing online at all and not really not really relying on the website because everything was just done through AutoTrader. Yeah, that business was heavily leveraged on on AutoTrader and that was where the majority of inquiries and stuff come from. Um, not even tapping into you know just the general online market and stuff. So. So I imagine you're learning everything as you go as well. You're building and flying the plane at the same time, right? And the people or your boss is just investing in this, like, hey, let's just get the young blood in, see what they can do, 
finger to the pulse, etc. And you turned up trumps for them, right? Exactly, exactly. So it was kind of it was um, I think Richard it was Richard Branson that said, look, you just you take an opportunity and you just learn, you figure out how to do it afterwards. Um, so I guess it was a case of me finding out the info, going back to my bosses at the time and, and the sales manager and stuff, and regurgitating that info as if as if I'd already known this. All I wrote long. this, yeah. <laughs> but it seemed to work, and it was working. And then the more the more you do that, and the more you do more research, you start to realise that it's not actually it's not it's not luck that's mm. happening here. I'm actually learning stuff, and I'm understanding things, and I've got a I've got a keen eye for this for this type of, of business transformation. Um, so over the three, over the three, four years that I was there, I eventually became a marketing manager and just oversaw this, this whole new job role that didn't even exist within the business four years ago um, with, a, with a small team and whatnot. But from, from the start, there's actually a news article that I could probably share with you in our local, local paper, but we took that business from doing around 19 million to 36 in three years. Um, wow. Revenue, which when you consider that scale of volume, yeah, yeah. you know, doubling that revenue was just a was just a game changer. But then once things like that start happening, you then you've got that much faith from from the guys that own the business and the managers that they just put that much trust into you. You've almost got free reign. So I had free reign on to trial things, do things. You know, there wasn't a case of I had to sit down and and beg for money to then try this. It was like. I've proven they that gave you um, the opportunity. Yeah. So, yeah. so essentially, you became a, an entrepreneur within somebody else's business. It was almost like you were you were building this this digital side of the business that I felt was almost like my own kind of thing. Yeah. But now, for the automotive industry, especially given what's happened with COVID, they've now been well placed in the market for a very long time to be an online. Um, an online uh, car dealership where you can buy, get finance quotes, literally leave deposits online, see 360 videos of the, of the cars. Um, but it's just, it, it was, it was a, it was a case of learn yeah. and then feed it back. Um, that's, a, that's a great lesson for any other boss out there that's employing people is to give them enough range really and give them ownership of their roles and not to micromanage them into a way where, look, you know, if you had someone looking over your shoulder every minute of the day going, what's going on? Where am I spending my money? What am I investing in here? You probably would have felt, oh, Jesus Christ, you know, give me a sec, mate. You know, you've got, to, you've got to let me spread my wings in this job because neither of us know anything about it and you've got to take a punt on me. So, yeah, I think that's a good message for a lot of bosses and I wish I had more bosses. Are you still in touch with the people down there that you work with? Yeah, so, yeah. so funnily enough, um, this naturally leads on to how where we are right now um the fact that obviously i've I'd, I'd proven myself as being somebody more than capable of not just from a um a social media online digital e-commerce point of view but i was obviously a lot savvier as a as a business person um you know i wasn't just a a guy that did that i was i was quite clued up on on business in general and when you work in an independent business you get exposed to a lot more of the the you know the knowledge and the decision making and, and just that experience of being within a, an independent because things are a lot more close knit. You know, the you feel the punches people. a bit more on the bruises, don't you? When they don't exactly. go yep. exactly. So you know, when you're having your morning meetings, you, you you liaison directly with the owners of the business. You know, there isn't a board of directors that sit three or four levels above you that you never meet. Mm. You know, you get a real understanding of that business. So 
the skills and lessons that you learn working in an independent business were also invaluable to me because the chances are um, the likelihood of me ever working in a PLC was going to be very slim because I was always entre- entrepreneurial. I knew at some point I was going to I was going to do my own thing. I was going to work within my own my own business. So learning that again, if, if anybody's listening that is is fresh out of uni and you're thinking, do I go graduate trading scheme? Do I go small local independent business? Just look at what you want to do. You know, do you want to do you want to get skills on a CV for a middle middle management role that you can work your way up to? Like, if that's what your your dream is, then then you know, go for it. But if you're somebody that likes to take a little bit of risk, you know, and you're willing to to put you know your your career on on hold for a couple of years and take up a role within a a smaller business and and get more responsibility, albeit you might wear a few different hats. Yeah. Uh, you might do a few different things, but you'll the things that you'll learn will just set you up to to be a lot more capable of managing your own business when when that opportunity comes along. So, but you've also got to be you've also got to be curious as well. I mean, someone like you could have quite easily sat in that chair in that business and just kind of waited for the clock to roll around till five and then check out, right? But you decided to kind of learn from within the business and learn different skills whilst on the job at the same time and. I think, again, that's a really good trait that I wish other people had. If they were curious within the job they had, they might not really like the business they're working in. They may not like the boss, but if they're curious about business and getting on or even getting out of a job they don't like, you really have to know the infrastructure of business. Of course, of course. And, and again, under, understanding the business on, on, a, on a wider scale than just your specific role or department yeah. um, triggered me to, to start the, the shoe business because when you look at it on, on paper, the business model for a car dealership that's independent, like a, a used, a pre-owned car dealership, is buying good stock, making sure it's it's you know mechanically sound, the the, the body works in good condition, all that kind of stuff. Providing a level of service, facilitating you know taking in a part exchange and, and that kind of stuff, and, and selling the car to somebody else. When you look at my business model in the footwear industry. We're in the secondary market too, so we don't buy direct from Nike. We don't buy direct from, um, you know, Adidas because we can't. We don't have those contracts. So in this secondary market that's been created over the last five years, whereby, um, you know, the likes of uh, Kanye West got out his, his Yeezy trainers, the Travis Scott collaborations, um, the Jordans of 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 research and that kind of thing. So there's this secondary market whereby if you can't get them first time around. People are willing to spend on their secondary market to get them. So, yeah. what we essentially do is we facilitate the, the the exchange or the purchase between somebody that gets them and wants to sell them versus the person that doesn't mind paying paying that additional. So, on paper, I took exactly what I'd, right. what I'd learned from the, the car dealership, replicated that model, and just changed the product. Right. So all of the core principles are still the same. Provide good customer service, um, be honest, transparent, you know, put the customer first. And it's not necessarily about making as much money as you can, but building that brand. And that trust, trust, because when you're dealing in high value items like the cars and stuff, you know, car dealerships, notoriously salesmen, they all have terrible reputations. (laughs) Um, They all smell of uh, like the red Marlboro. Not the like the light Marlboro. It's the real, you know, the harsh red Marlboros. Yeah, ones. exactly. Um, you've now got the template. You have got the formula from your old business. You've you've managed to switch that over. But 
what are the processes before you get Lusso Footwear up and running? Um, do you look for suppliers? Do you look to build up a website first, contacts, etc.? How does it work? So I, um, because I'd obviously worked with, with the website, I had a basic understanding of, of what to do. So I just built my own website initially. Um, I built my own website and I put together kind of a bit of a, a, not a, not a forecast, but a bit of a proposal to the bosses of, of the car dealership that I worked at. So I built this website. I'd gone to them with basically some basic uh, profitability, you know. Got a value proposition, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And just said, look, like, obviously, you know, we've done this together now. You know, when I joined here, the type of person I was, this is what I want to go and do. Um, and essentially just went to them and kind of pitched them the idea of it. And they were just like, yeah, no problem. Like, as simple as that. You know, when you, you, you ask a question, you get the response that you were kind of thinking, I thought it was going to be a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Difficult than I didn't that. even have a chance to get on my knees. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was thinking, you know, I had all these, like, words and phrases in my head and I had all these this research that I'd done and, you know, how stadium goods got bought by Farfetch for 200 and $50 million in the US. I had all these catchphrases and things all lined up and I didn't need them. I genuinely did not need them. Uh, so what were so, you asking them for? For an investment or for yeah, them? Yeah. Well, basically the, the initial kind of investment to buy up, uh, I guess, a, a, a selection of stock in the beginning just to just to keep things rolling. Um, so that they, they gave me that no problem, um, which... Which then led to me in, 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 I guess, my own time while still working at the garage to build up the website and create the, the social media and build a bit of brand awareness and kind of jump straight into the, the, the deep end with it. Um, but what I, quick, what I quickly realized is, you know, the world of, of e-commerce is a lot more complicated than what a, a, essentially a car dealership business model is. Um, so then I began to, to, you know, especially when you're dealing with high-value goods that are mail order, you have to then start factoring in things like the distance selling scheme. So if you sell a pair of trainers online and they're like a £400 pair of trainers, if they do not like them or they do not want them, they've got 14 days to send them back regardless. Um, so you have to factor things like that into your cash flow. So if you then if you then buy in more stock with that money that you've just got in and then you've left yourself vulnerable and three people want to return three items, you, you need that money in the yeah, bank, you, know, you need that cushion, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so that was one of the things that I quickly learned. You know, I'm, I'm going to have to be a little bit more proactive on the website side of things and you know, have things like size guides. You know, put in the right descriptions, information around how to how to measure yourself. You know, what what the sizing like of the particular brand, the shoe, all that kind of stuff. But I couldn't do that myself. Um, I wasn't kind of, I was I was I was okay at building websites, but I'm not professional. Um, so when I started looking into it a little bit further, I, I discovered um, a local company to me, actually, a company called VisualSoft, um, who specialise in e-commerce, digital marketing, that kind of thing. And they're on, they're on my doorstep, but they're very good at what they do. They were a very big company at the time and, and quite well known within the fashion area. So I went to see them about a particular website, um, inquired about you know what, because I didn't know how complex e-commerce was at the time and you know how all the different things tied together. So essentially, I walked out of walked out of that meeting with a potential job offer um, because of my experience in, in sales and, and, and growing businesses. 
they offered me kind of a, a part deal whereby they said they'd give me help with a website and do me a website. And if I could come and help them kind of guide other businesses and help them transform their online offering so I could learn from them while right. still building my own business in a sense. So again, I've, I've naturally with no, like no purpose or no particular reason, like call it fit or whatever you will. I've, I've landed in this position again, whereby I can now extend on that knowledge further. I can build on what I've, what I know and I can see how other, other successful people in the industry are doing it. Um, so all the, while this, all this is going on, the website's getting built and I'm, I'm, I'm adding in the size guides. I'm adding in the, um, the actual functionality of the website. It's going to make it easier. It's going to be a lot more professional. It kind of looks the part now. So when you're, when you're on our website, you, for me, I feel like if you had never heard of us before, but you landed on our website through either a social media advert or Google advert, whatever it might be, that I'm fairly confident that I've given you a reason to give me another five or six seconds of, of your time because we look like we're a business that, that does this on a global scale. Sort yeah, of. it looks great, man. Really good. So Lusso, am I sorry, lusso-life.co.uk. Yeah, yeah. What have they built this on? I see you've got Klarna on there. I was going to ask you if you've got Klarna on. So I guess that, like you were saying, with returns and kind of giving yourself a cushion, does what's your opinion on Klarna? Have you, have you had a chance to really road test it properly? Yeah. So Klarna is naturally one of our biggest um, avenues of, of, of customers. And it's, it's not so much because our customers can't afford our products it's not the case all our, our whole marketplace is based on the premise that people are paying above a market value for for the product but Klarna for us is an opportunity for people to just break down that cost I suppose and you know if if you have got the money there at the bank well it's still better being in the bank than it is just outlaying that initial cost you know if somebody said to you you can you can have a house the same premise as a mortgage we will give you the house you know we'll give you three months interest free or we'll give you the 25 year mortgage with no capital repayments or interest payments. It just, it's a no brainer. So and for you as well, right? Kind of protects. So it protects the seller as well as the consumer in that way. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. And, and, and what it means is we don't with Kleiner, the way that Kleiner works is you don't actually capture the payment until you dispatch the item. So until I physically put that item through the, the, the process and packing labels on it and it's sent out, does that payment then get triggered from client to myself? So the customer's got peace of mind knowing that when they place that order, they know they're not going to get the money taken until it's been dispatched. Yeah, 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 it's officially done. Um, but it also means that if they've bought now and paid later than 30 days, if they do need an exchange or to like a different size, if they've not fully understood how the, the shoes fit, then they're not then having to fork out another X amount of pounds to buy another pair in the meantime and send that one yeah. back. Gives them that breathing space, especially with footwear, because it is so different, um, you know, between the Yeezys and the Jordans and everything. And the Italian trainers particularly fit a full-size big. So if yeah. you're a full-size nine, you know, in normal Nike, you might be a nine and a half in Yeezy, but you might be a size eight in Gucci. So if you're not familiar with with how these different sizes works and you buy the wrong pair, I don't want to have to like what the majority of the industry does in, in terms of the secondary market is they just say, well, you bought it now. It's not our problem. Yeah. yeah. Because the, the way that their model works is essentially a, like a, 
uh, yeah, like a one hit wonder for them and then so it's essentially they, they go right well when you buy it from us you're actually buying it from somebody else that we're selling for right um, so that that cancels out any kind of uh, I think legal right to actually get a refund because it's, uh, it's okay a, you know a middleman between two buys yeah, yeah I know what you mean so if you buy the wrong size you're gonna you're gonna have a, a pretty knackered experience because you're now gonna have to try and sell that one yeah and and buy the new size again so I don't want people to have that I want people to if they get the wrong size no bother just let me know if I've got it in stock I'll change it if I haven't got it in stock I'll buy it in and when I have got it I'll exchange it for no problem so Klarna fits in with that business model nicely because then there's no pressure from from the customer wanting to rush that exchange. Right, um, yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, come on, we need to get it down. Is it 14 days? Is it 12 days plus delivery? I mean, there's always a sweat on, isn't there, when it comes to returns? So it's, 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 it, it's given me a little bit of breathing space. It gives the customer a bit of breathing space, knowing that when they order it, they've, they've got peace of mind that they can get it changed and they haven't, they haven't gone to have to fork out that money, but... Yeah. Uh, but going back to your original question on what what the platform's built on, it's actually Visual Soft's own pr- proprietary software. So they oh, have okay. they have their own platform, and and especially in the footwear industry, there's people like Charles Clinkard that you might have heard of, um, Daniel Footwear, Mordor Impeller. There's a lot of footwear retailers, Riker, Kickers, those types of people that are on that that platform. So from a footwear point of view, as a retailer and a, as a brand. They're obviously going to know the needs that I that I have as a as a footwear retailer, if that yeah. makes sense. So it was a no-brainer in terms of of going to them. I wonder um, if that's a a northern thing, Jason, in terms of community. So me being in London, if I'm looking for like, oh, I need to get some help with my e-commerce site. I'm in London. Let's see who's around. No one's going to go. Oh, you're a you know you're a Chiswick boy as well. Let's you know let's let's do this together and let's you know make a meeting of the minds and see how we can push it forward. I don't think there's that kind of, so I've, I've lived in London about three years. I don't think there's that real sense of community willing to help each other out. Now, yeah. you, I don't know how to put words in your mouth, but I, I think it's slightly different from where you are. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is based. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I think there is a, a kind of a cultural difference between the, the North North. I'm not talking like Birmingham, Leeds, and you know, like yeah. Newcastle, Middlesbrough, that that level of north, we are a uh, because uh, we're so far out of the way. We do have to stick together. You know, yeah. the the industry up here is, is not as vibrant as obviously London. It's not as flourishing as London. There's a lot of um, old mining towns and things up in up in the north. So we're still in this we're still in this period of kind of transition from being um, a very industry led area to now being kind of leaders in in technology. You know, we've got a great hub in Middlesbrough now. Technology-wise, with the uni and, and, and digital city and what's going on, yeah, uh, the the everybody does want to stick together. So if you're in, in in digital or you're a retailer, it's like let's all be part of a winning a winning kind of formula sort of thing. So yeah, I think, I think we need a bit of a we need a slice of that down here in London. I'm not speaking for everyone in London. I'm not speaking for every yeah. borough, but you know, from my experience of being down here, I've not really found that everyone's looking out for each other. You know, and they're kind of postal area but anyway i digress <laughs> a smaller scale that that kind of the business goes full circle so if you're working with a local business you're spending money with them they're ultimately then spending it with another local business and at some point that that money is going to go full circle yeah. and come back to you anyway so if you keep all of that 
within within the industry, then you within the local space, sorry, you can you can amplify that and build in it. Whereas if you're in a, if you're looking to outsource work down to London, whatever, that money that you're essentially earning in in Teesside, for example, then gets you know passed down to London, where it's, the chances are it's never going to come back up to the north again. Yeah. I know we tried to get the Brixton pound up and running at one point. So Brixton was going to get its own currency. That was a while ago. I'm going to have to Google that. I don't think that's still around. <laughs> they might be in museums by now. Or, or it could be a flourishing economy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, right. you're right. There is a bit of, of community in that sense. But if, if I, I dare say if I had been in London whilst I was, I was trying to achieve what I've achieved, I might not be where I am at this moment in time because people have literally gone off on a, you know, a complete whim to, to help me. You know, they've took massive gambles in just allowing me to have free reign of, of developing projects, you know, literally saying to us, oh, we like what you've done with the business that you were with. Why don't you come and help us do that for other people? Not actually fully understanding or asking too many questions about what I want to do, or what I want to achieve. They were just like, yep, we know, we know you can help people. Yeah. Well, you know, come and work for us kind of thing. Um, so people have gone, gone out and took risks for me, which I'm, I'm you know, forever grateful for because I do think I'd be in a different position. I might still be in that accountancy practice, you know, looking at a screen <laughs> nine till five every day, just, you know, feeling like it's, it's nine till never. Yeah. It has helped me get to where I am. Um, and I guess where we are now is the business is in a growth period. Mm-hmm. Uh, We've took some massive knocks along the way. I guess as an e-commerce business, what was new to me was, um, especially in the high-value goods sector, was um, fraudulent orders. Oh, so talk to me about that. When I when I launched my first website um, on, it was on WooCommerce, which is a WordPress kind of plugin for for e-commerce. Yeah, store. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really have any fraud indicators. It doesn't give you any inclination of, you know, that this might be a potential fraudulent order just double check it uh, okay. or it didn't even give i wasn't aware that you had to look out for certain things that might look suspicious right so basically what had happened is within a couple of weeks i got some 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 orders through for, for traders that um i was doing a bit of google advertising on and some of the sizes that come through i didn't have in stock but essentially if i get an order through i've got a network of people where i could source it find it and, and supply it anyway so that wasn't an issue but what had happened was I'd outlaid the money for the trainers. I'd sent them out. I'd captured the payments through um, PayPal or whatever it was at the time. I can't remember. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, I got a notification from PayPal to say that the buyers had opened cases against me. Um, and essentially what they said was that it was not them that made the purchase. They've run their bank mm. and said that it wasn't them that authorized it. And because I didn't have any fraud indicators or any data to, to back up that those were real genuine orders placed by that person, the banks will 99 times out of 100 always side with ah. the customer. So I lost about £1,200 in sales and £800 in stock that I bought that I now lost. So they yeah. got their money back, took it away from me, but they also got, got the, the shoes as well. So, so what are the warnings? What are the red flags? How would you, how would you prevent that in the future? So typical red flags is it's, it's, there's no guaranteed formula to prevent it. But 
if the delivery address is different to the billing address, for example, that's right. sometimes a bit of a just double check that. If the actual delivery address is a you know a million miles away from the billing address, like if it's six hundred miles, like the, the the order address is in the north, right? Is in London. Just double check it. You know, all it takes is a quick phone call to the customer just to say, look, um, Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so, Ms. So-and-so, just received an order. I'm just wanting to make sure that you're not being a victim of, of, of fraud before I process it. Mm. Um, as you know, I'd hate Does Klarna protect you from anything like that? Yes. Yeah. So I don't want to make this like a Klarna episode, but I'm just intrigued. And you're, you're giving us a, a like a first-hand, you know, ground zero experience yeah. of this. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, it's, it's, it, I suppose it's a combined element of the actual platform that you're with and the payment providers that you work with. So they will all have elements of traffic light systems and signals and notifications. Right. So Klarna are that confident they can spot fraudulent orders that if it passes their if it passes their process criteria and they allow that order to go through, right? If you dispatch that order and you get a charge back, Klarna will 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 take the hit uh, and protect you from it. Nice. However, if you processed an order and you haven't dispatched it yet, and they then twenty four hours later flag something or twelve hours later flag something, they still give you options and say, look, if you've dispatched the order. Let us know who it's with. Give us the tracking number, and we'll try our best to divert it. And if they can't, then you still don't get penalised for that. But if they right. can, then they obviously you get the item back, and and they refund the order. So with Klarna, there's a lot of protection from a payment point of view. But the VisualSoft platform that I'm on also has a traffic light system, whereby it looks at IP address. Was the order made in the UK, for example? A lot of fraudulent orders tend to come from uh, Asia, like Malaysia, Thailand, that kind of thing, whereby somebody either bought a list of personal details that have been leaked or whatever it might be, and they're just trying to get quick wins. So it will right. highlight things. It won't say whether it's a, a, a fraudulent order or not because nobody can actually tell. It just basically says to you, look at this a bit more yeah, yeah. carefully. You know, yeah, and it looks dodgy. is a phone call. Right. If I'd have known that back then, I'd have saved myself two grand. Yeah. But, I mean, you, you learn by your mistakes, don't you? And you just kind of, set, like you say, though, but when you set up a business, no one tells you about these kind of initial kicks to the nuts that you're going to get along the way, right? You're just going to go, oh, crikey, that would have been nice to know in school. Well, that would have been nice to know instead of, like, studying freaking... Anyway, that's my life, not yours. <laughs> the more that... It's, I'm glad it happened at the stage that it did, and not further down the line when my, 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 my products were a lot more high value and I had more mm. so because I could, because I was still operating and I still had a full-time job consultant for visual software, et cetera. I could take that financial hit. You know, it didn't, it didn't completely destroy my business or anything like that. I didn't have any overheads. It was just a case of website stock, you know, bit of Facebook advertising here and there. So I, I bounced back from that. But again, if you're, if you don't have that, luxury and you have gone out on a whim entirely and you're mm. self in this bootstrapping this from the ground up and a hit like that comes along yeah. that could be put somebody off business altogether yeah you know you might think well what's the point like your margins yeah. and the, the fat on business when you start up a business is so small i mean it's you're like a 
you're like a bikini athlete. You've got like 0.3% body fat on your business when you start up from the ground up, right? And anything that can blindside you can really just take the jam out of your donut and, and just knock your lights out right from the business, right from exactly. the start. Exactly. exactly. Jason, tell us um, how big the business is now. Uh, is it just you? Are you still the one-man band there? What's it looking like now? So as in terms of um, turnover-wise, we're, we're probably aiming for for for, for two hundred thousand revenue sales this this year, and we're only into we're only just coming up to our second financial year end now. Um, so going from a zero standing start to to two hundred grand in two years is is pretty good. Going by my standards, if if you're still employed. Um, and you've got decent margins in your product, you know, because sometimes turnover when people come out with these figures, it can be, it can be um, more like a vanity metric. Because if if I'm earning, if I've sold two hundred thousand pounds worth of trainers at a margin of X amount of pounds, and somebody's done four hundred thousand pounds at half mm. the margin, then on the on, on the bottom line, we've both made the same amount of money. Yeah, people will see them as being more successful. Yeah, because they've generated a high turnover. Mm. Uh, so I think sometimes people do get caught up in them types of, of vanity metrics. As long as you're making profit on the bottom line and it's scalable, you can yeah. you can do that. Then you're on to a winner. Uh, but at the moment, it is just employed by the business. It's me. Right. Um, but I'm still in a growth stage whereby I'm not taking any money out. So I'm not taking a salary from the business. Um, I'm not kind of dipping into it for my own personal gain. I tend to use a lot of freelancers and contractors. Um, suppliers, again, you don't have, you don't need people um, to contract with supply-wise because it's, you can't. It's not like I can just go to somebody and say, right, I want 100 of them, I want 50 of them, I want 70 of them yeah. because the market, the market determines what's available. Right. Um, so if, you know, one of these bots, these software bots has, has bought up all of Foot Locker's stock on the day of release and they want to hold that or ship it and export it off to China, then that reduces the amount of available right. yeah, yeah. in the UK, which then bumps prices up. And there's so many different factors. It would be It would be hard for me right now to just, I couldn't just go to a recruitment agency in fashion and just go find me a buyer because they'll be that used to dealing with suppliers and sourcing from Italy and that kind of thing that they wouldn't know where to start in this particular yeah. industry. So I'd have to, if I was to employ somebody, find somebody that's entered the industry, has been doing it a bit as a hobby, buying and selling here and there, knows the groups, knows where to look yeah. and know what fakes are. Because again, that's another massive thing for, for our business. We only deal in legitimate trainers. Right. Um, and it takes a keen eye to be able to tell the difference between what's real and what's come straight from a, a factory in China, you know, as an, an unauthorized replica. So we'll have to have you on for another episode, Jason, and we'll go into uh, the minutiae of the face because that would be fascinating. But um, yeah. listen, it's been great talking to you. Just quickly, how how does the the name? What how what's the meaning of Lusso? So uh, Lusso is actually the Sorry. Italian term for luxury. Oh, uh, there you go. So when we started the business, essentially, we wanted we wanted to be perceived to be a luxury brand, a luxury retailer that would happily, when you think of end clothing, flannels, browns, you know, we wanted something high quality that was gonna that was gonna sit along along those types of names rather than things like um, 
I'm not going to mention anybody, but things that incorporate the word crep or kick or trainers or something like that. It just it didn't fit with the way that I wanted to do things right. and provide excellent customer service. I mean, look at our reviews. They're all five-star reviews on Trustpilot. We're, we're wanting to build up a, a brand, as a, I guess, is the, is the main focus for us, and we're, we're working towards that on a long-term basis. We're not interested in any quick wins. We're, yeah. we're going to build something from the ground up, and who knows? You know, Mike Ashley might come along in three or four years' time and go, I'm sick of you, you know, popping up on my news feed here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> Let's just bring you in as part of the group and, and or whatever. You know, you never know. But that's ultimately what what we'd look to do. Yeah. And why not? I mean, he, he buys up companies all the time and looks for investments. He doesn't want to just kind of sit on his uh sit on his millions, right? He wants to, you know, build uh build the empire. Exactly. Exactly. Listen, Jason, thanks again so much for your time. Um I feel like we can get you back on and have you as a consultant. Like We'll employ you. <laughs> like everywhere you go for an interview, someone someone employs you. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be like the running theme. Like, yeah, we, we need to put. I'll get back to Craig and say we need to put um, Jason on the payroll. <laughs> we need to talk to you for hours about anything as well. Like, I'll have a story about anything, like in fashion or footwear, whatever it might be. There'll be a there'll be a story or something that I've done somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Right, I've just started a new brand, actually. I've just started a new footwear brand that I could talk to you for another three hours about. You know, Yeah, we'll, we'll make it a trilogy. <laughs> you know, things happening, Peter. Honestly, I could just talk for hours. But, uh, but well, I think listen, mate, I'm, I want to be respectful of your time. I know that I've had you on the horn now for close to an hour, and it's been great talking to you, Jason. And again, Luso, luso-life.co.uk. We'll put all the uh, information up on the show notes over on menswearstyle.co.uk recommend you check it out it's a great website great trainers and uh, you might find something that might not be around at the moment so you can go and get your exclusives over there in the meantime have a have a great night mate enjoy the weekend and uh, look forward to getting you back for another five episodes <laughs> yeah. enjoyed this thank you very much pizza thanks pal take care of yourself bye well how about that I honestly, I could have spoken to Jason for hours. Really smart, tuned in young gentleman. Hopefully, we'll have him back on to talk about his own trainer brand. In the meantime, the website, once again, is luso-life.co.uk. That's the place to go. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. The ratings are up. Craig, my editor, sends me the stats at the end of every month. And if you like what you're hearing, maybe leave a review. Maybe there's a brand or a person you think would make a great guest on the show. So, put your suggestions in a comment on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen and until next time